It's 621, time for the morning brief, where we bring in one of our pundits for a detailed analysis of the big stories we're talking about today. Tim Hudak, former leader of Ontario's Conservatives, now at the Ontario Real Estate Association. Good morning, Tim. Good morning, John Moore. Okay, a bunch of stuff to talk about today, but actually I wanted to start with a guy you know, uh, Charles Souza, uh, declaring victory for the Liberals as a federal MP in the Mississauga by-election. He's going to join us at 735, uh, but it seems like a fairly sizable victory, and I appreciate we talked about this a lot yesterday on the show. You can't read too much into a by-election, but at the very least, uh, Charles Souza, who seems to be a very, very well-regarded guy, is off to Ottawa for a second chapter in his political career. Yeah, I'm a fan of Charles Souza. I'm, I'm happy to hear this. I think he will be a, uh, a significant addition of talent to the national uh, liberal benches, of course, was finance minister. What, what I like about him um, beyond his resume, though, John, is he's the kind of politician, and I know you know him too, and you have that conversation shortly, that doesn't have the blinders on, right? Like he can work across party lines. You're all part of the, the game, the sport to, together. So, you know, a genuine human being, I think, that cares about the province and, and the country. Here's another compliment, too. He always reminded me of Mr. Big from Sex and the City. He's got that voice. He's got that look. Okay. I intend that is very high com- high compliment. And um, I think, uh, with respect to reading into the uh, the by election, I don't think this is really a you know a vote on Trudeau or Polyev and that kind of thing. I think that the increase in vote was that Charles Souza is a very well respected and popular candidate for whatever party he runs for. Okay. Well, if he reminds you of Mr. Big, tell him to stay away from the Peloton. <laughs> yes, good. Okay. Uh, Jagmeet Singh is threatening to pull out of that deal that he made with the Liberals. I think this is probably, I mean, to use the expression growing pains probably doesn't describe it very accurately. But, I mean, you've got to shake the sabers every once in a while in a deal like this to make sure you still have some power. Yeah, the risk, in, in it, and it typically harms the parties that prop up uh, others over time. There's some exceptions, but generally you do worse the next election because you lose your identity. You look like you're, you know, the, the supportive little brother, and you don't cut your own cloth. And I've not seen Jagmeet Singh use enough his authority. Like, he locked into a deal, it looks like, till 2025, right? That undermines his overall credibility. Some of my favorite time in the provincial government, John, uh, was during the minority government uh, under under Dalton McGinty as leader of the opposition. And there was much more drama. There would be, you know, the budgets that would come forward or major bills that would be confidence motions. And who would who would support that or what kind of trade-offs would exist? For example, I did support McGinty when he brought in a wage freeze on teachers at the time. I thought it should be across all the public service. We were in deep deficit, but I supported that. And Andrew Horvath usually then, around budget, time would have her list of three or four demands. There'll be some drama. Will the government collapse? We go into an election. Will the compromise be reached? And Horvath usually played her cards well and got two or three on that list. I think if Jagmeet Singh played that a bit more often with credibility, it looked like he could actually run an election campaign and raise the money. He get a lot more done for his causes. Uh, Mississauga City Councilor is proposing what I've deemed flexible speed limits. I think it makes all kinds of sense. I mean, you run people down to 30 kilometers an hour when kids are in school, in a school zone. The rest of the time, you can drive a little faster. I like this idea too, John, and uh, (laughs) it's sensible, right? It would use modern technology. The kids are not around. 
But I bet it'll be shot down. I, I, I do think that local councils will say, ah, there's a, there's the risk. What about the children that happen to be out late at night around a school zone? Uh, look, in the United Kingdom, for some time, they have had variable speed limits, including, you know, on their major highways. They will change in speed depending on congestion. If there's a slowdown that is on, on the way ahead to ease you into that, depending on the weather or time of day, people have adapted quite well. I actually, if we could do this in some of our highways, I wouldn't mind seeing variable speed limits on our highways as well. I think 30 is pretty low. Okay, schools are in, in session, but good for this council bringing forward to say when the kids are not, when the bell has rung and a few hours later, put the speed limits back to 40 kilometers. Well, and I can certainly attest, having got those two tickets on, I think I was on St. George, doesn't really matter, but it was a route I would not normally have taken, but I was taking because they were closing down Queen's Park for the convoy protests. But anyway, not to, again, excuse my speeding tickets. I, what I'm does, getting to is the 30 kilometers an hour, which I now drive on that stretch on my way home, is practically not moving. I can ride faster on a bike. Yeah, you and I could probably jog while we'd run out of energy eventually, but at that speed. Yeah, I, I do think that there is a temptation for councils to turn those low speed limits in school zones or safety zones into more of a, a tax grab as opposed to a yeah. safety measure. Look, I hope this passes. My, my gut tells me it won't, though. The councillor will join us to make his case at 8.05 this morning. We've got, we've got all the newsmakers on the show this morning, including you, Tim Hudak. Um, so the vacant home tax. I got my form yesterday. Uh, apparently, I have to go online and attest to the fact that I live in my own home. Yeah, I, I understand the popularity of, of this. I, I bet if you did a poll, John, this would probably be 65 70% support, not as high as a foreign buyer's tax or ban. We're in a housing crisis, so people will say, let's you know, let's use the existing stock we have and get more vacant homes open to renters or for sales. But he, here's what I worry about. I, I would like to see every ounce of energy that government has focused on increasing housing supply, getting more homes built faster. You know, one recent study showed in the city of Toronto, there are 2.2 million empty bedrooms. These are homes that were built for families. Now there may be one or two people living there. If you could devote your energies to policies to help them find appropriate homes, open that that family home up for a, a young family on their way up, that seems like a much better use of energy than this policy. It also is a bit odious about government monitoring how much water goes into my house how much hydro goes through the wires to prove whether I'm here six months, a year or not. It strikes me that the, the amount of cost to administer this, you know, maybe even more than the tax that will come in. By way of example, when Vancouver did this, they claimed that up to 3% of housing stock was vacant. And then when they actually went through the numbers, monitored, people appealed, all that kind of stuff, it went less than 1%. Kitchener-Waterloo rejected this altogether because they said the monitoring costs were too high. So I, I get the politics, but ultimately, the energy should be going to increasing supply, you know, not chasing down my hydro bill. Yeah, I'm, I'll say that I've always been on board for this policy, but yesterday when I got the form, I thought, oh, great, more paperwork. Yeah, and you have to opt out, right? So there's yeah. no doubt a significant number of people will, will miss that and suddenly be subject to the tax and trying to, to get out of it. And then you've got the bureaucrats you got to hire to run this program. They'd be better off getting more housing supply built. So now, moving forward, government planes will not offer drink garnishes. Oh, the humanity. It reminds <laughs> me of that. What was it? Cold camembert and broken crackers? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I, there's no way I'm going to fly those government planes. I'm going to go first class uh, instead and I'll get my lemons and, and limes. Look, I, I think the story here is... Um, 
is less about the, the lemons and limes and how much the cost of that was outrageous. It's just the, yeah. the abuse that takes place, right? This is the, the Governor General of Canada. They're supposed to represent royalty, but they're not friggin' royalty at the end of the day. And, and this is, I remember Adrian Clarkson had a similar situation with huge bills to carry an entourage on the, these foreign trips. They need to respect the taxpayer. They play an important role, right? They've got a house for sure, they pay for the security and get them to the ceremony on time. But you've got to be ultimately always conscious of how this looks to the taxpayer who are suffering today and good for the Canadian Taxpayers Federation for actually finding out what kind of meals are on this plane and hopefully now to make a permanent change in that kind of abuse. Thank you, sir. Good to have you this morning. Have a great day. Tim Hudak with the Ontario Real Estate Association.